and welcome to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. I'm Scott Miller. I serve as your ongoing interviewer and host. Today we have joining us Franklin Covey's Senior Vice President Jennifer Colosimo in live from Denver here in the studio. Jen, Hi, welcome. Scott. Glad you joined us today. Thank you so much. Now, Jen, the reason we have you here is because you're one of the few people who's ever co-authored a book with our co-founder, Stephen R. Covey. You wrote about a decade ago with Stephen the book, Great Work, Great Career. I love the tagline, how to create your ultimate job and make an extraordinary contribution. What an honor. It is. It is. Um, a lot of the content from that book, while applied to your career, comes from his seminal work, The Seven Habits. Which is why you're here today. In fact, because Dr. Covey passed about six years ago, I invited you to come in and speak on his book, The Seven Habits, mainly because you've been in the firm for, gosh, almost 25 years. You're our senior vice president of all of our sales and client work across the U.S. and Canada. And you tutored Dr. Covey for close to the majority of your career here. It was quite an honor, and thank you for having me here to represent his work. Um, I'm, if nothing else, a great student and try to be a practitioner day to day. Um, it has definitely influenced my career and my personal life. And what a great honor to have, you know, flown around the world with Stephen, listened to him speak, talked to him, learned. I'm sure it was um, ambitious and inspiring to see him not just teach the principles, but live the principles. You know, one of the things you hear his family say, you know, people would always say, is he that way at home? Yeah. And they would say, he is, he's that way at home. He was that way in private moments, in uh, board meetings, well before the rest of the world was talking about culture. Yeah. He would be talking about how people behave every day is what drives your results and makes a difference. It's hard not to get emotional about it because we both it were is. huge fans of a man who was a model of what he taught, right? Well, to have a life mission to unleash the potential of others, um, not only inspiring, mm -hmm. but as I said, mm -hmm. I am not a model, but I am definitely a practitioner that does my best to yeah. use his work every day. Yeah, as are the 30 million people who've bought the book, right? I mean, everyone's got the book, it seems like. Some of us made it through, some of us are making it through still. I mean, talk about a seminal impact. 30 million copies sold over 30 years. I don't know of a book in the last 100 years that's had a bigger impact on society, organizations, me and my own life, right? The book is seminal by every measure. Agreed. The thing is, we when we work with clients, they'll often say, well, I did the seven habits. Right. I've yeah. done the seven habits. Yeah. Or you ask people to raise their hands, how many of you have read it? You know, everybody's read it. And it is timeless in terms of the principles that are in that book. The practices change. How you personally manage yourself yeah. has changed, of course, over those years. But the principles and what they do to drive results, emotional intelligence, engagement, that doesn't change. Now, Dr. Covey passed about six years ago. He gave tens of thousands of speeches. And much of your career here, you were uh, one of our senior consultants, so you also have taught this program, facilitated it hundreds of times across the world. Which of the seven habits is your favorite? Well, favorite meaning you hate the most. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it isn't that I hate it. I just think it's so foundational and foundational to your life, to your career. And that is habit one. Yeah. They all start with a verb, so it's be proactive. But really for me, the main concept is that you have choice. That changed my life. Mm. To, and I'll get emotional now too. To be able to say you have choice in how you behave in the face of any circumstance in the workplace, annoying person down the hall, you still have choice in how you interact with that person. Difficult situation in your life, you have choice. I think it's foundational to the rest. And it's, it's hard to keep in mind when you get hit with that emotion, 
something happens and you think, well, I deserve right now to mm. yell at this person, mm. right? But to know and to practice all these years, hopefully I do it less. Well, I think you're a great model of it, which is why I invited you on today. Thank you. We're going to spend about four to five minutes on each of the seven habits. Before I do that, I want to set a little bit of context and groundwork for why the book became so influential. It's my understanding that uh, Dr. Covey spent, gosh, several years, better part of almost a decade, researching all the success literature around why are people so effective or influential. And he did this sort of 200-year review of of, of articles and I don't think there were blogs back then, no. but of you know newspaper articles and websites and and all the literature, and he kind of divided it into two sections. It was the first 150 years, mm -hmm. where most of the literature talked about old old fashioned values, you know, principle, honesty, integrity, knowing your values, really respecting people, and then the last 50 years, kind of since World War One or so, a lot of the success literature focused on more superficial things, your image, your brand, uh, your style. And he called those two things the personality ethic of the last 50 years versus the character ethic. And he kind of, I think, maybe named those two terms. But that's kind of the foundation for him deciding to go back to the proven principles of the last 200 years as opposed to falling victim to things like what kind of car do you drive and your clothes and your briefcase and things that were successful for a while but have proven now to be less effective. Well, um, that's an important part of the work. And frankly, I think that surface, that personality, of course it makes a difference if your shoes are shined, right, in, to some extent. But the depth of your life and whether it's considered successful, meaning a sense of meaning, a sense of fulfillment, did you achieve what you set out to achieve or did the world just happen to you? And not just in your career, in your personal life, that's the bulk of who we are. That's the bulk of who we are. And effectiveness is defined as getting results, not just now, but long-term. Right, right. It's got a long-term view. The book's organized geniusly. And I think in addition to Dr. Covey popularizing these seven habits, he's organized it in a framework called the maturity continuum. Would you take just a couple of minutes and talk about why that's so important as you begin to read the book or apply the habits in your life? Sure. You know, even Dr. Covey would say these ideas were not his. He organized right, them right, well. And right. that was what has changed so much of the world as they've read it. And uh, the seven habits are organized in a maturity continuum, meaning you move from dependence mm -hmm. to independence to interdependence. And what that means is I start out um, and everybody does. I don't think three-year-olds have the ability to be independent or interdependent. My, my four-year-old's trying. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck to him. Good luck to him. Uh, but you start out being you-focused. So yeah. at, at its basic level, I am dependent on you for what happens to me. Even you're responsible for my happiness. If you weren't so mean, I'd be happy, yeah. right? moving through the first three habits to what's independent, meaning I know I'm responsible for my own choices. I know I'm responsible for my own behavior. And some people think that's good enough, getting to independence. But the problems that we face in our workplaces, the challenges we face as a family, societal, require interdependence, that we can work effectively, creatively, collaboratively, innovate, together getting to interdependence which is we focused and those those three uh, four five and six focus on getting to interdependence they're surrounded by a habit that says 
you need to take care of yourself. We call it sharpen the saw. There's a metaphor used in the book. Um, you need to take care of yourself in order to be able to do any of this. You can't be highly effective if you are socially having a challenge, mentally having a challenge, physically. I'm not a challenge, but if you're not taking care of yourself socially, mentally, physically, and spiritually, which is defined as having a sense of meaning other than yourself. You know, Jen, great, great context setting. Like you, I'm out with clients every couple of weeks. What I hear most often from our clients that are adopting the content in their organizations is yes. two things. Is that most people are trained well in their technical skill set. What they don't bring to their job is a high sense of personal maturity and responsibility. Talk about how the seven habits is transforming cultures in, in that same capacity. Well, when you think about emotional intelligence, simply, a simple emotional intelligence definition, it's my ability to self-manage myself, to recognize what's happening, self-manage, and then also to go into a room and recognize, or an email, right, or, right, and recognize right. what's happening and to be able to effectively interact with people, right? When you think about a culture, it's how most people behave most of the time. So imagine a culture where people say, I am responsible for my own engagement. Mm -hmm. People can do a lot of things around me, but I'm responsible for my contribution. I'm thinking about what I'm trying to contribute and I'm choosing the most important things to do every day. And then even more difficult, when we have a conflict, I'm thinking about how do we creatively solve that versus I need to win because my whole entire self and self-esteem is based on winning. And what's art. my role in helping solve and that? And what's my yeah, role yeah. in helping solve that? Yeah. Um, drives innovation, creativity. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it um, for words that are being used now, they weren't at that time, diversity and inclusion. How do I value the differences of other people and not just, I heard this definition recently, ask them to the dance, but also then when they're there, they get to dance. Mm -hmm. yeah and we get to something better than either of us would have thought of on our own or a group of us on our own, um, timeless principles. I've also heard clients say that it's given this wonderful gift of a common language across an organization where you might have very competent engineers and artists and innovators and HR and finance that have very different fields of experience and different ways they communicate things, and they can actually now finally come together and have some common terms that they learned, reminded of in the book, and they actually find new friendships and new commonalities because of the language. That's a gift. It's a big gift, and that's why so many of our clients and leaders use this as part of onboarding uh, when they're doing mergers and acquisitions so that we all have that common language yeah. to help us come together right. because we might have different processes and business models, but can we foundationally value differences, listen to each other, come up with what our end in mind is, and come to something better than any group yeah, yeah. would have come with on their own. You and I can riff for days because we're both so passionate yes, about it. And it's, yes. We all both know that it's had a profound impact on our own personal maturity and on your and my relationship, right? We both are strong-willed, we're strong-minded, we're the same generation, and you and I aren't without conflict sometimes. And That's true. we would both admit that if we live the principles Stephen taught us, our synergy is unstoppable. It, um, it's interesting. Uh, obviously, we've disagreed over the years. Uh, and one of the things that I do, even with you, is to think, okay, in this situation, this comes out of think win-win. What would be a win for Scott? Now, of course, I'll never know unless I fame, ask you. Fame, and I, <laughs> adoration. <laughs> and I ask you, and you say fame or adoration. Yeah. But uh, I, I'll never know unless I ask you, but I think yeah. he's got a reason here. Right. It's not insane. Right? It's not insane. Yeah, right. uh, and what would be yeah. a win? And where can we come together? And I think that has made our relationship much stronger. It's a great over the leadership years. insight.
So I want to spend a couple of minutes on each of the seven habits. Let's okay. get started. Okay. So I'm going to pitch the habit to you because I've been able to memorize the seven. <laughs> You're the expert on what it means. In 20-something 20, 20 years. That's exactly right. Good job. Uh, if I get it wrong, correct me. Uh, I'm going to pitch the habit to you. Okay. And then I'm also going to ask each of us to kind of rank ourselves on how we think we're doing. And perhaps the millions of viewers who are subscribing or watching to us can do the same thing. So as Jen's talking, at the end of it, give yourself a score from one to 10, 10 being high, one being low, how you're doing on implying this habit in your in your life, okay? okay. So I'm gonna pitch the habit to you, and then I'm gonna give you my ranking, and you give me yours, and then you talk it. about it. Okay, be proactive, scale of one to 10. I'm gonna give myself a 1.7. This is my weakest one. Interesting, so that habit has a couple of key practices to it. One, the ability to take a space between stimulus and response. Something happens, I can pause and choose to act in alignment with my value and my end in mind. Um, second, that when things happen, I can analyze and say, this is what I can actually influence, my circle of influence, and this is what I cannot. Yeah. This is in my circle of concern. And it probably makes logical sense. People that focus on things that they can't influence, their influence actually shrinks. Mm. Um, at even a more difficult level, I think, is becoming a transition person in your workplace or in your family where there have been scripted, negative, bad behaviors that aren't working, and you're saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, those are some of the key yeah. three concepts. To me, this is the foundational one that changed my life, and I'm probably a five. I think you're more than a five. Uh, I think many people would define being proactive as taking charge, taking initiative, getting it done. And on that, I'm a 12. But as Stephen describes, it's not about that necessarily. It's really about controlling your emotions, being grounded in your values, and not letting outside influences, people's moods uh, agitate you and change who you are. And in that case, I'm very tempted. I'm easily you know, lured into that trap of responding with anger or a flash of judgment. And it, for me, it's a, it's a massive leadership skill I'm trying to build mm -hmm. because I lose credibility. Well, it's foundational to all of the others because you have to have a real sense of this is who I am, this is how I behave in order to do the other habits. Otherwise, everything in the world threatens you. You can be, right. you know, and, and I'm not saying that you're threatened, yeah. but, it, but it's threatening. You need to win this conversation, right. let alone having a long view. Has my wife called you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's the habit of choice. And really, this is a habit that some organizations have to invest the most time yeah. on. Right. Okay, let's talk about habit two. Okay. Begin with the end in mind. I'm going to give myself a little higher score. Three. <laughs> oh, I think you're higher than that. Recently, you outlined your vision that you'd had as a, I mean, I think right out of college of where you wanted your life to go. Well, you wrote it on adoration, a board. Fame and adoration. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote it on a board. This is the habit of purpose and vision. And personally, in the book, it focuses on your mission statement, which evolves, which changes, which is uncovered over yeah. your lifetime. But it's not letting life happen to you. You looking at what can I do so that people at my 70th birthday party, frankly, my 50th is this year, so we'll mm. settle for that. Um, at my 50th birthday party, this is what people are saying about me and how I've impacted mm. them. Mm -hmm. People that I work with, people in my family, my neighbors. When you apply it in the workplace, think about meetings that start with an end in mind. What are we trying to accomplish today? 
think about uh, objectives for the year. This yeah. is our strategy. This is our most important goal. This is what we're trying to execute on. This has multiple applications, yeah. but I think the deepest and leading to the most fulfillment in life mm -hmm. is what, who, what, how do I want to be? In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Stephen had this phrase about measure twice, cut once. And this has been so resonant in my career here is because although I think I'm probably better professionally at habit two than I am personally always, maybe I'd maybe I'll give myself a three, but I can think of a recent project that I've been a member of where it's kind of mirrored in a, in a, in a, in a, a bog right now. Mm -hmm. And had we done a better job of thinking through all the obstacles and just doing some common research, we'd be much cleaner on it. And we didn't really kind of check off all of the, the processes of what are we trying to accomplish? What can we could get in our way? We kind of, we kind of um, threw caution to the wind on some of the things and it came back to bite us. Well, I think a lot of organizations, teams, individuals are like that. You don't always know the end in mind. Right? right, but if you have a mental it's an emergent creation, strategy, it's or an emergent yeah. strategy. But if you have something mentally in mind and and likely written, I think yeah. there's a big difference between you thought about it this morning and you wrote it down. Right. Um, that's something that, as it evolves and changes, you can at least see where you're going in the progress. In fact, to your point, it's that's a big trap for leaders because most leaders are charged with innovating and being creative and constantly throwing out new ideas. And that can be a big challenge to organizations where someone who is constantly one-upping themselves with new ideas and throwing more things on that they thought up in the shower that morning. Well, I like it when they do as long as they execute. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? As long as you execute and it moves us forward, there's a constant change in this world. So I don't think that's the problem. It's just where am I going? Yeah. Yeah, having vision. Having vision. Habit three, put first things first. The habit of personal management. Where rank, do you I'm rank, rank yourself? Myself. What was your, what was your, by the way, I didn't hear your number on two. You're trying to evade that. What was your ranking on two? I'm again going to give myself a five. Every year I reevaluate, uh, reevaluate what am I trying to achieve personally, professionally, what am I yeah, doing? Yeah, I know I you. I give myself You're a like five. a nine. <laughs> You're, yeah, yeah, you are. I appreciate the compliments. I hate you. Thank You're you. You're a nine. Um, <laughs> Okay, number three, I would say probably, I think I used, when I was single, I was a two because much of my identity was wrapped into my career. Okay. When I got married in my 40s and had children, I had no choice but to put first things first, which was my commitment to my wife and my kids. So now I think I'm about a seven on that. I think I'm... A I'm a six or a seven. I'm, I'm good at that, particularly in the workplace. I would say I'm better in the workplace. Hmm. This is what we're trying to mm -hmm. achieve. This is mm -hmm. how we'll get there. What's the most important thing? Weekly planning is a big component here. What's the one or two most important things I can do this week to move myself forward in that role? I think I do that really well at work, I would hope. I mean, there's going to be people watching this that are like, no, she doesn't. <laughs> she gets way off track. That's but, not true. But personally, I tend to think that'll be okay. That'll be fine. I can get back to that and then have to re-bring myself back. You talked in our person. opening about the importance and genius that Stephen brought in terms of sequence. There's a reason why two is two and why three follows three. Explain the correlation between why you have to get two right if you're going to get three right. Well. In order to determine what's the most important thing I can do this week, or even what's the most important thing I can do today, 
you have to know what's important. Right. What key roles, what are you trying to achieve, what's the vision, and then when you're doing weekly planning or there's a tool in there called the time matrix, many people are familiar with that, you can determine is this urgent, is this important, is this urgent and important, you can make decisions on the spot, but without that vision, you don't have any grounding on which to make the decision. Every leader right now who's listening to this should be thinking, gosh, if only my team were actually following these, right? They were not being reactive and, and, and blowing up or having big arguments. They were thoughtful about their response, that they were deliberate in planning and thinking about a vision, and they were clear on differentiating between what is urgent and what is important. That represents what Dr. Covey called the private victory, habits one, two, and three. Talk a bit about the importance of, as a leader, having a strong private victory, and what can, what can create a weak private victory? As a leader, and I mentioned this previously, if you don't have a private victory, meaning I know I can make choice, I have a vision and a sense of purpose, I'm actively doing my best to put the most important things first, you can be blown with the wind. This person is irritated with that policy or this new approach. Um, that person thinks you should do this. I know of leaders that I've worked with in the past, and fortunately, most of the leaders I've worked with have been wonderful mentors mm -hmm. and had a private mm -hmm. victory, mm -hmm. but I've either worked with folks or seen it in my career where the last person to talk to that leader is the decision that gets made. Mm -hmm. They're easily thrown back and forth. It's very hard to execute on your highest and most important priorities, your strategy, if you can just be blown here and there. Right, right. Uh, also, when you get into conflict, I personally don't feel, this is one of the things that I've worked on for 25 years, I don't usually feel threatened personally. I can get uh, a, an irritation, you know, and then think, well, I mean, that's a decent opinion. Of course, they're a reasonable person, you know. But people who are threatened personally also have mercurial moods. Mm -hmm. And um, they're difficult to lead a team towards collaboration and innovation. Mm -hmm. Can be very creative and, of course, people that are mercurial can be successful. We, we see them. And it's harder to get a long-term positive result. We had Doris Kearns Goodwin on the set a couple of weeks ago, right? the Pulitzer Prize winning author of Team of Rivals and Leadership. And she talked about how the definition of humility is really self-confidence, not arrogance, not, not a, you know, a, a hoity-toity sense of intellect, but really sort of grounded in your values, knowing who you are, and having a sense of confidence about who you are. I think that sums up well a, a strong private victory. It does, it does. I'm, I, to have the ability to say, I was wrong. Yeah. Um, I apologize. Right. Um, some of the things that come later in public victory. Not have to be the expert at everything. Or have don't have to be the expert. I don't know. Um, and of course there are things that you do know as a leader and there are things that you feel strongly about. But those that have the humility to say, tell me more. Maybe I don't understand mm -hmm. it completely. Or I, I need to make this decision. You know, one of the things Peter Drucker says and then later Marshall Goldsmith said it is, uh, decisions are made by the people who have the power to make them, right? Make peace with that. He does that as a coaching thing. Very mm -hmm. circle of concern, right? And circle of influence. Focus on what you can focus on. And sometimes you're saying, I have to make this decision. I have incomplete information. But it's not because I, I don't have the humility to know that I'm, of course, not always right. You're just responsible for making you're the decision. You're just responsible for making the decision. I, I'm taking time on this because we've both been in leadership roles in this firm for over 15, 20 years. You perhaps even longer than me. 
And I have found when I'm struggling with one of my colleagues for any number of reasons, I'll try to step back and think about, so where is their private victory? How strong is it on this topic? How strong is it today? Is something going on perhaps in their life that I don't know about? It could be in their personal life. It could be their, their confidence in their skill set because I have found that a lot of interpersonal conflict comes from one or both members perhaps having a weaker private victory and the other not knowing it or intentionally capitalizing on that. I, I think the, this isn't therapy, but it's getting I know, there. I'm thinking. <laughs> well, the wisest thing for, for me that you said was people are always, they're humans and they're dealing with something. Yeah, you never know. You never right. know who is helping with their aging parents, who has a health challenge, right. who has a challenge in the neighborhood, who, yeah. you know. Don't believe Facebook. Don't Sorry. ever <laughs> believe the, what people post, right? Um, because they post the best views of themselves, myself included. Yeah. Um, it, you never know. And I, I even experienced this last week. Someone was, in my mind, overreacting to something I thought wasn't a very big deal. And that's part of habit one, to be able to say, that's unusual, something must be going on. I'm going to slow down and listen and hear where, where we're coming from versus, frankly, I'm an impatient person naturally. That is my entire life's practice mm -hmm. to, to be more patient um, and, and think just, you don't have to solve this right now, slow down. Dr. Covey said hundreds of profound things. Yes. Arguably one of the most quotable people in the last century. Uh, I have a poster in my office of all of the quotes that he said. He said some really smart things, including with people, um, slow is fast and fast is slow. And in the private victory piece, he talks about the uh, unmistakable value of a paradigm shift and how all these habits come alive based on your paradigm. Before we move to public victory, talk a little bit about how important it is as a leader to understand the power of your own paradigms. Paradigm is a word I think that since this book come out, came out has been overused yeah. um, at its simplest level. And I've worked with clients that this, this helps them understand. It is the glasses that you are wearing to see the world in your mind right? This is how this is. Your mind just says, this is how this is. Subconsciously. Subconsciously. And therefore that drives your behavior, drives your results, and frankly, then reinforces your paradigm. It drives your, your level of patience, your level of collaboration. It drives your view on people's opportunities and their potential. Right? Well, think about it. If you as a leader are thinking, nobody gets anything done unless I'm here telling them every single thing to do step by step by step. That's your view. How will you behave? You, maniacal. Maniacal. You yeah. will micromanage. You won't unleash talent. You won't create conditions for engagement where people can contribute in a meaningful way because you'll think, duh, they can't do anything without me. Mm -hmm. And then they'll get super tired of that, very tired of that. Quit. They might quit, and if they hang around, they'll just wait for you to tell them what to do. Right. Why would they be creative and You've think of a solution? You've created a dependent culture. A dependent, and you'll right. say, see, that's right. what I thought. Right, right. That's what I thought. Self-fulfilling Versus people have a light inside of them. You know, our, our mission is to enable greatness, mm -hmm. right? And people have that within them. It might be very latent. It might not be unleashed, but they have something to contribute and your role is to create the conditions to be able to unleash that so that in an organization you can achieve the very best, most innovative, creative results. 
Right now, everybody listening is wishing you were their leader. <laughs> that so would, do not try to recruit her. She's here. Except, She's a contract. Except those that work directly with me. <laughs> that's not true because I do. That's not true. Okay. They'll be like, oh, she let, talks a good game. Let, that's not true, Jim. Uh, so overall, my average there in private victory was, was um, 3.2. <laughs> and yours was more like 6. So oh, maybe. Yeah, sure. I, take the I, high tr road. I try. I okay, try. let's move to public victory. We'll go a little faster. So habit four starts the public victory. Think win-win. And on this one, I'm going to give myself a higher score because I think I'm actually pretty good at this. I'm going to probably say seven and a half for me, probably double the previous ones. I've worked on this. Talk about win-win. Um, the reason I'm good at this is because of the verb that says think. <laughs> um, it's not a do habit. Do <laughs> I mean, it, it, you have to put it into action in, in five and six, but I am good at thinking this way. Does it always come across in my behavior? But it's heavily practiced. I'm, I'm probably a six. Um, this is the habit when you work with clients that you expect people to just react. Because we are heavily scripted, heavily scripted, that if, if there's enough for me, there's not enough for you. If you win, I lose. A scarcity mentality. That's Which Dr. The word. Covey calls those, so his think win win, and then the other ones are think lose win. Think lose lose. Think we lose, both, lose. As, if I'm going yeah, down, you're going, you're going with, down me. with me. Right? You're going down with yeah. me. Um, or I'm very victim. Mm -hmm. Think lose win, as you mentioned. Uh, I just let you win because why would I do anything else? Mm -hmm. But typically I'm carrying a big bag of things I'm really ticked off about. Guilt. And one day jealousy, it's going to come right? out. Um, this one's really hard because of scripting. Uh, even to look at situations, if you think about in the business world, organizations that you compete with, and at the same time, parts of your business collaborate. We're so interdependent. You may have one division that competes and one that collaborates. You need to be able to flow right. between what best fits the situation. And in personal relationships, if you can, getting to collaboration versus compromise is the objective. And sometimes you have to compromise. And in some cultures, they're aligned for business model reasons to compete. I just bought a car recently. It's, I, I bought many cars in this dealership. I'm very happy with them overall. But service is service, and sales is sales. And they don't give each other any kind of break. They're on their, their own. So they're kind of set up to think either lose, win, or win, lose. Well, and maybe people aren't being very thoughtful about it. Even in um, my current work, I see people competing over ideas that if they came together, we could come up with something better. Yeah. But it's more about this recent slight, a recent slight or an email that was negative or how you make me feel. It's a very difficult habit, except for people that you just love and adore. And then you can say, oh, I'm really going to see what's a win for them. This is for when you cannot see it. Right. In fact, Dr. Covey, for those who might think this is about Pollyanna, he has a final concept called no deal. Talk about the value of, of getting to no deal, which is acceptable. It's very acceptable if I have some root things that need to happen for this to be a win, especially in a business relationship. That you can't compromise on. You, I can't compromise reasons, yeah. on that for whatever reasons, right. right? Or you may not be able to compromise for whatever reasons. That when we say no deal, it's no deal, and maybe for now, it hasn't ruined the relationship. Right. It hasn't burned the bridge. We respectfully we agree. Respectfully we can't agree. come to a deal right. on this. Right. And yeah. respect is the key piece there. What was your number? 
Six. Okay. Uh, I beat you on that one. Yeah. So, but of course, did. it's self-ranking. <laughs> so, okay, let's go to five, right? This is the crusher. Habit five, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Oh, I think I'll give myself a two and a half, mainly because of my propensity to want to interrupt, interject. We all have this sort of, you know, narrative going on in our mind. I'm a two and a half. Some days, um, this one is the one that really requires to me to be socially, emotionally, yeah. mentally fit. Because um, as a leader, one of the things, at least me, and maybe other leaders that are listening, think is I should solve things, right? I'm in this role, yeah. I should solve right. things. And the challenge with this is, I'm sure you've done this, you've solved something that wasn't even really the problem because you didn't hang in long enough to hear what the real problem was. I, I once had a colleague come to me, I'll leave her nameless, Jen said to me, if you'll just shut up, oh, Scott. <laughs> but it was truth in it, right? It's if you'll just be shut up long enough for me to give you the rest of the facts, we might be able to work together on it. It was profound. Well, we were younger. Yeah. I don't say if you would just shut up anymore. <laughs> we were a lot younger. I deserved it. Um, that's the thing, I think, whether it's in your work life as a leader, um, and sometimes I do this too. You think that is so easy to solve. I've seen this mm. 700 mm -hmm. times. Right. I know the answer. I know the answer. I know the answer. And you might, but the person may not receive the answer or work with you in an effective way if they don't feel heard. There's this deep human condition that says, I want people to hear me. And I'm not saying let it go forever. There are times when you're saying, okay, have I got it? Do I understand you? And now can I explain what I think? But I think we solve things too quickly without hearing out what the real problem is. You'd argue that this among all the habits, maybe you'd argue one, because you're passionate about one, this is a fundamentally underrated leadership skill. It's about empathy, about care, it's about selflessness. Do you care enough as a leader to be quiet and open your mind and listen to the other person's point of view and as Dr. Covey would talk about, resist the temptation to fake listen, pretend listen, because we all have in our mind our own narrative. And, we're, and, we're, and the psychology tells you that most people are poor listeners because they're thinking about their own rebuttal or one-upping the story or correcting the false paradigm or narrative. It's really a selfless leadership skill, is it not? And very, very difficult. I think this requires tremendous mental strength. When you're, especially when you're trained to solve it. You're trained to solve it, and and if I solve it, won't I? If I don't solve it, won't I look weak? Yeah. Won't I look like why should I even have this role? And I, I think um, I can only do myself. There's times where I see myself thinking, as soon as yes. her lips right. stop moving, right. I will tell her the answer and tell her how wrong this, you know. Yeah. And and it takes incredible mental to say, wait. Do I really understand? Can I reflect back the thought and the feeling of it in a way that not only do they feel understood, which is critical, the respect piece, but that I do understand. And if I go out to solve this, I've solved the real thing. Um, I actually think this is one I, I try really hard at. Of course, people who work with me would say, she doesn't always do well. But the greatest tribute I received, um, it was when my youngest daughter was in high school, she said, I said, so you are angry about what happened in X. And a coach of one of her teams said, have you, where did you learn that? Wow. Where did you learn that? And my daughter came home and said, 
I never realized I was learning something. This is a thing, right? And I said, well, it's a big life skill. So I, I mean, seriously, that will bring tears to my eyes because mm -hmm. I didn't say, you need to learn empathic communication. You need to, you'll do better in life, but um, big influence on me. We could talk about five for hours because hours, it's so, it. it's an undeveloped skill we all have, right? We all have been trained to talk, communicate, present, speak well, influence, be persuasive. We haven't spent nearly as much time working on our listening skills as leaders. That that's what's so critical there. And of course, using I messages when you then, I mean, there's the other side of it. There's the other side of it. But the depth of that is how you can empathically listen to another person and how it helps you get better results at work, but also helps you build relationships. Relationships and the quality of those, what we call, what Stephen calls the emotional bank account is a result. Having an emotional mm -hmm. bank account. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you've had Stephen M. R. Covey on, mm -hmm. right? We know that that trust, that emotional bank account, helps you do things faster at a reduced yeah, cost. Right. Habit uh, six, let's move forward. Okay. Synergize, I'll give myself a seven and a half, eight on this. How about you? Tell me why. As I've, as I've matured in my leadership role, mainly through great coaching and leaders, I have come to better appreciate that I don't have all the answers. I lived in Europe for a while. And as an American, it was a transformative experience to see that America doesn't have all the answers. We're not always right. We're not as confident and strong as we think we are. And it really helped to humble me a bit. And as I lived in diverse communities, I lived in Florida and Chicago and Utah and in England, I become just more appreciative, more celebratory of different points of view. My parents are of different faiths. So as I've grown up, I've become less, um, more, more craving of alternative points of view and diverse thinking. Well, I appreciate that, that. Yeah, because one of the things I heard is critical to this habit, which is you can't just tolerate differences. It's actually valuing differences. And of course, um, there's, there's the ethnicities and the different countries and genders and all kinds of you know, things that you can put in diversity categories. It's also, you may be very um, prone to spontaneous action, and I'm a planner, hmm. right? You may mm -hmm. want things to have a logical flow chart, and I, I have a big idea, and that's mm -hmm. just how we have to do it. It's, it's diversity in the ways we think, that we approach problems. Um, and, you know, naturally, I don't think we evolutionary think, I really want to bring close to me people that are super different that I don't understand. Because people like people like themselves, right. typically. But that is what will help us solve the major problems yeah. we face in organizations, families, yeah. societies, and so on. So this habit has as its base valuing differences. Then if we've got a problem or something we're trying to innovate on, we do have to agree on the end in mind. What is, you know, what yeah. are we what trying? What does success look what like? What does success look like? That may evolve, but we have to have what is the end in mind, which is habit two, right? Then we practice habit five, do, do we seek first to understand, then to be understood? Do we really understand every possibility here? And then can we explore all the possibilities to get to that end in mind, which requires a ton of habit one, because you can't feel threatened that your idea, as it stood when you walked in the room, didn't raise to the top. I, I can listen to you a lot, because it's great coaching. I think as I was reflecting on my own score, I would have given myself probably a two on this a decade ago. 
it was through the strengthening of my own private victory mm -hmm. that I became more confident in my own skills as a leader where I would go out and seek talent that was better than my own. To, you know, historically, I would, have, I would have hired people who I didn't think were as competent as I was, maybe even consciously, to look better. But as I have matured, as I've come to uh, own mm -hmm. and trust that great leaders surround themselves with people who are smarter than they are because you're confident in your own contribution, that I'm a better synergizer as I look at people who are smarter than me to, you know, to, to bring around me. It doesn't mean, though, if I don't seek your opinion, I'm always going to take it. Agreed. I got into an argument with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago behind the <laughs> camera where I asked him for an advice on a topic, and I didn't take it. He's like, why did you call me? I said, well, I, I wanted your opinion. That doesn't mean I'm going to adopt everything you say. And we kind of left on a no deal, and I kept scratching my head thinking, well, I just wanted your opinion. And he's like, well, then why did you even ask? And yeah. it's, we talked about it since then. But Well, I think that's what's hard as a leader is you have to make a determination. Um, I believe, and it's something that Dr. Covey said, no involvement, no commitment, yeah. right? You involve people as much as you can. And so there's times when I'm involving and I'm getting opinions, but I know I have to make the decision. There's times when I'm hoping the group that I'm asking can collaborate enough to come to something better. And there's sometimes I put it to a vote. Right. We've heard right. all of the possibilities. Right. Yeah. There's 10 of us vote. Right. The stakes aren't so the high where it's going to so bring high. us down. And I wish yeah. you didn't ever have to get to vote, yeah. but sometimes you right. can't get to. We're all on the right. same page. Well said. Okay, let's land the plane. Okay. Habit seven, sharpen the saw. A little different than the other ones. Talk about that. Well, if you don't take care of yourself, you cannot be effective. I'm period. A, I'm a six. I'm, I'm good at this one. I'm a six. <laughs> no, come I'm on. A, I'm a six. Well, I'm way better than I used to be um, yeah. because I've prioritized, of course it is at five in the morning, but I've prioritized working out and I have friends that I work out with hmm. um, that also need to work uh -huh. out at five in the morning. That's not a choice anyone makes unless. But you take time for yourself. I mean, you vacation less than you should, but more than you probably did a decade ago, right? No, but, okay. but you have a good <laughs> no, but social I life. I have you a good, good social life. I you run can check out. And I run with people that I love and adore. You and keep I work commitments to your family. I keep commitments to my family. We had a conference call scheduled over the holiday at a certain time. You texted me and said, hey, I promise I'm going to check out by X time. Can I we did. do it earlier? And I thought, you know what? As you model it, others around you begin to think, you know what? It's safe for me to model as well. I, I do. I, I keep commitments to my family. I'm lucky my children are grown, so the commitments are not overwhelming oh, like some people's that. are. <laughs> I earned it. Um, I definitely strive, but I think this what's so ha important about this habit is everything we've been talking about as a leader, as someone in your community, in your family, you can do this if you take care of yourself. If you don't, you don't have anything to bring to the table. Think how hard it is to listen empathically yeah. or to creatively right. collaborate. Right. Um, it requires your own sharpness to be able to do that. And that's why it surrounds all the other habits. As a leader, it's important to sharpen the saw because your team will behave how you do. If you don't take vacation, they will feel like they can't take vacation. If you're not exercising, if you're not modeling balance in your life, others are gonna feel like you might punish them for it. One of the things I try to do, and um, I do it at varying levels of success, but personally, and I know it's my choice, I will work occasionally on the weekends. 
But what I do, unless it is so urgent, is delay, if it's an email, delay the send yeah. until Monday morning. Because I don't want people to feel the pressure yeah. of, and I got this, by the way, from a coach. It's not um, unique. Uh, coaches definitely tell you this, but I'll delay the hey, send. We got everything from a coach. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Coaching is awesome. Yeah. Jim, final few minutes. Okay. Uh, think of your role as a leader of all these seven habits as people are taking away today their thoughts, what is, of all the seven habits, what's most important to model as a leader? I believe it's habits one and habits five combined, meaning you do create a space between stimulus and response. Mm -hmm. People can trust you because they feel like you have a consistency to you. You aren't your, they have, you have a consistency to your behavior. And for the most part, none of us are perfect, myself included. I've always said I was just a model, uh, uh, someone who was trying to model it, but um, not doing my best, is be able to listen to others, both for the very practical purpose of you actually solve the problem, that's the problem, and second, to create the respect and energy that was required for mm. collaboration. You spent a lot of time, Dr. Covey, you told me once that this was a tough habit for him. Habit. Habit five. Yes. Sorry, habit five. He used to rank himself a five. Yeah. He used to rank himself a five. Which I feel I, better about myself. <laughs> which I cannot believe, and he was not a five. But all of us, that's very difficult from an energy standpoint to keep up. So yeah. he was better than a five, but that's how he ranked himself. Send us off with a parent hat. For those of us who are parents, or aunts, or uncles, or spouses, in our personal lives, which habit do you think is, uh, they're all foundational, all important. Which one do you think is most impactful in our personal lives? Habit five, um, yeah, especially with, um, well, with, I was going to say with children, but it's the same with my, with my husband. When you feel energy rise, there's anger, there's fear, there's disappointment. For me, the best thing you can do for the relationship is slow down and really understand what's driving that feeling and, and not by probing, but like I said, you feel, yeah. one of the tools we say, you feel blank about blank. And of course you can't say that over and over, people go crazy. But there's other ways to say it, really understanding them and they feel understood versus jumping in and saying, well, you should just study more. Well, if only your alarm clock went off on time. Well, look at your room. It's amazing anybody can find anything. Well, why don't you just do this at work? It isn't for the most part what people need, and if it is, when they feel understood, they'll listen to some of what you may have to offer. You almost just taught a three-day work session in 45 <laughs> minutes. Uh, uh, a lot of organizations around the world will, will take this content, implement it through their teams, really to try to create a cultural transformation. If you were giving anybody advice on how to engage with Franklin Covey on the seven habits, they, they could teach it in lots of modalities, right? Live stand-up training, they can break it up over multiple weeks through webinar. Where would you tell a leader to start if they thought, gosh, my people need this, they're highly technically competent, they need some of the EQ skills. What would you advise someone on kind of where to start to get their teams oriented with the seven habits? Well, as you mentioned, there are so many ways you can work with this content. Um, I believe particularly when you get to this, and I know it's old school and it doesn't fit everybody or all the virtual teams, yeah. but it really helps to start with some of this face-to-face -face if you can. Yeah. We offer this in live online webinars. We offer this in on-demand modalities. It's in the All Access Pass. It's in the All Access content. Pass as yeah. anchor content. Um, clients facilitate it themselves. We facilitate. As I said, people use this for, for 
emotional intelligence, building a culture of effectiveness, yeah. onboarding, helping with mergers and acquisitions, right. really just getting stuff done, um, <laughs> getting stuff done, creating a culture of innovation and collaboration. Yeah. There's so many, there's so much in this. Um, I believe the content is timeless, the principles are timeless, and as the world changes, our practices change. Jen, insightful, thank you. You had the privilege of co-authoring great work, great career with Stephen Covey. You stood in at my invite today to represent him on The Seven Habits. You have a lot going on. You're running our, our global sales force, at least half of it or more than half of it. You're also authoring a couple of upcoming books. Right now, we're kind of debating, should you author our next leadership book? Should you offer, author our next sales book? Maybe both, right? Maybe not. Yeah, no. <laughs> Pick one. <laughs> so we'll look forward to having you come back on when the next book that you finish authoring hits the press. Jennifer Colosimo, thank you very much. Thanks, Scott. And thank you all. Hopefully, you learned a couple of things. I think my average score was about a four. I think yours was about a seven. Uh, but we wish you great success. Hope you enjoyed our time today. And we'll see you back next week for On Leadership. Thanks so much.